Welcoming you into episode 45 of Justified Pursuit. Alongside, as always, my co-host, my buddy, the counselor, Chisholm Cook. How in the world are you, my friend? Good, man. Uh, I don't know if we've ever recorded on a Sunday, but... We haven't. uh, Got a light exercise in, went to church, uh, greeted at the door, saw all of our uh, church brothers and sisters. So I'm, I'm on the right path for the day. You? Uh, we also went to church this morning. That makes two weeks in a row for us, which for that's the first time that's happened since pre-pandemic. Um, like I told you, we did the whole virtual church thing for like a month, and then we we're like, "Ah, this sucks." Yeah, yeah. No offense, I mean, to people that stuck with it, but the kids had no desire to watch big church. Like they don't even go to that; they go to their own little classrooms anyway. And now I'm saying, hey, yeah, watch the pastor who's delivering a, a sermon to adults. You guys soak this up, little six and eight year old children. <laughs> so, uh, but no, it's been good. I think Aaron took them the week before and I was out of town. I think the family's been three times. I've been twice in a row. So uh, I'm also on the right side. Um, it really helps. It feels good to be yes. back in church for sure. Yeah, it, it makes for a, a fine Sunday. It's the right mm-hmm. way to start the week, for sure. The pastor's sermon today was on, uh, you know, the Apostle Paul wrote a letter to the Thessalonians, and it was um, basically talking about prayer and that you should really never cease praying. And so the pastor broke down his routine, which is like he prays three times a day, dedicated times, morning, lunch, afternoon-ish, and then in the evening. And then he's like, but really, you just need to kind of live a prayer like lifestyle where right. it's just coming out of you. And that's a result of being in constant communication with God. So um, it was thoughtful and got me to a point where I'm like, okay, you know, I think I'm praying once a day, twice a day on a good day. And a lot of times it's like a selfish prayer, like help me do this thing right. that I need to do. But going back to one of our early podcasts, when you were talking about, be a part of their story, be a part of someone else's story. Mm-hmm. Like, I think that for me personally, prayer needs to be more about someone else or something else, not so much me. Um, and I don't think there's anything wrong. And the pastor even said, you know, he prays for himself to sure. give him strength to lead the congregation, all that. But I think a lot of times I fall into this little routine of it's all about me, God, what can you do for me? So anyway, got me. Let's stay on this for a second. Um, because all the other chaos and crap and nonsense in the world will be there in five minutes and right. five days and five years. Um, yeah. So I, as you know, sort of developed my prayer life, <clears throat> started, started developing my prayer life six plus years ago in pursuit of that first elk hunt we went on. Um, that sounds weird. That's not really what I meant in conjunction with preparing for an elk hunt, I was also trying to get right spiritually. That's mm-hmm. what I mean. Um, 
and over the course of like six months, they're getting ready to go on that hunt. My prayer evolved. And I was very mindful of what you pointed out too, right? Like that I, I, I didn't want it to be about me. Didn't even want it to be about killing elk. I never, ever, ever prayed that we kill an elk. Right. Uh, as far as the hunt part goes, I just prayed we had a rewarding, like fulfilling experience and got home safe. Um, but over the course of that time, it sort of crystallized for me where nowadays when I dedicate time to prayer, I try to give thanks, ask forgiveness. Then I pray specifically by name for each member of my family, for several members of extended family, and then kind of blanket it like, you know, the rest of our family and all of our friends and even my enemies and even non-believers. Extra prayer time for the woke members of our family? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, people in my community, like the kids at the tribe, the youth group, right? right? And then the, at the end, I pray about me, I guess, quote unquote. If there's something specific on my heart that I need help with, I'll pray that. But generally, I always ask, and this came from a sermon from our pastor. Um, he has a prayer he calls, Lord, include me. Um, and he probably got it from somewhere else. It, it may be something every christian across america is sort of familiar with but i basically uh, ask god to show me the path he has for me give me the strength discipline and faith to follow it um to show me where he's working in the world and include me that sort of thing right mm -hmm. um to the point your pastor's point about kind of just living in that space i know for me as that sort of developed to your point, especially when I'm making sure to do it every day, I feel like it's always, you know, right behind the like front level of consciousness. Like it's always kind of in the background. You know what I mean? Mm. Does that make sense? Like, yeah. Cause when you're having a conversation like we're having right now, I can't be like praying in the back of my mind while I'm talking to you. Right. Right. But there is always those subconscious things for men. Mostly it's sex, right? Like sex is always one second away from your thoughts. I'm sorry. Did you say something? I was thinking about what I'm going to do to my wife later. Exactly. <laughs> the more I pray, the more readily thoughtfulness and prayer jumps to the forefront. I want to. Here's a question. Whatever's happening in the world. How, you're a liar if you say no to this. Have you ever been in church thinking about sex with your wife? Besides this morning? <laughs> Literally this morning, yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course, I was like, dude. "Man, you look lovely in that dress." Mm -hmm. I didn't say this to her, but I'm like, mm, "Okay, I'm gonna knock that out later," because I can, because because God said, you know, a married man and woman should sure. do that mm -hmm. as much as they want. So absolutely, yeah. Um, <laughs> but then I probably was like, "God help." And then I probably said a prayer. It's like, "God help me focus on the sermon." <laughs> yeah, I know for sure. My mind started to wander and I just closed my eyes and I said, God, help me be present. Right. Exactly. <laughs> right here, right now. Mm -hmm. Yep. That's a good uh, little quickie prayer anytime. Man, I have I talked about the little routine that I've adopted this year with the waking up and, and doing these breathing exercises and then reading a chapter of the Bible and praying. I know uh, I've told you about it. You I don't did know it when we were in Turkey camp. Right. Yeah. And I mean, I've done it. I do it the vast majority of mornings. I don't manage to knock it out every single morning. But most mornings, at some point, I'm going to squeeze in this Wim Hof breathing exercise thing, read a chapter of the Bible, and, and then a dedicated prayer. And I find that anytime I do that, my mind is so much clearer all day. 
And when I don't do it, especially if I go two days without doing it, man, it is like a jumbled mess. Mm-hmm. Like there's just like, I, I'll almost feel just exhausted from the sort of just clutter in my mind, you know? Yeah. Um, so just praying to, for presence like that, like God help me stay present right now. Right. Right. Because to me, if you're present, your mind is relatively clear. You're in the moment, right? Living in the moment. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. It's interesting. Um, I, you know, I grew up, went to private Christian school my entire life and then went, went that's where we met at a Christian college. Um, my kids that's though, not were, behaving very Christian like, no, no, not in college. We definitely had a Christian school. Um, but my kids are going to public school and so they're not rooted in, I mean, like my sixth grade graduation, we recited the book of Ephesians, all six chapters. Yep. Like that was what we did in front of the whole school body and all our parents and everything. And like, we spent the whole school year learning an entire book of the Bible and recite it word for word. My kids aren't getting that. So Henry got his Bible. They gave the third graders Bibles. Um, he already had a Bible, but the church gave him a study Bible. And now he's going to classes where they teach you to locate the books of the Bible. And he goes, dad, I don't want to go to that class. And I said, okay, Henry, you got your Bible this morning. The class is tonight at five o'clock at the church. You're going to go to it unless you can open the book, the good book to Psalms right now. He's like, uh, okay. And he opens up and he's like, he's like in the new Testament. I'm like, give me the Bible. I open it right to Psalms. So I'll give you another chance. Find Matthew, open it to Matthew. Since you know everything, eight year old son, he opens it. He's like, now he's in the old Testament. He's, he's asked backwards. I was like, <laughs> give me the Bible. And I open it right to Matthew. And I, this is because I had all of this, this upbringing. And I did like Bible drill where you went to, it was a competition and you, if they called on you, you had to read the verse of that passage. Like you had like 20 seconds to get there or whatever it was. So anyway, he was very impressed that I could just open, basically open it up the Bible, the bigger books and go right to it. And the smaller ones might get within a book or two, but he doesn't have a clue about that kind of stuff. And so it, it brought it to my attention, you know, we need to do better jobs as, as parents. Now he can read on his own. So we don't have to be reading it to him and he needs to dive into the book and do the extracurricular things at church. I mean, that's where I met a lot of my lifelong friends. Um, and church camp was so fun too in high school, but I don't know if that was, you know, got that warm, fuzzy God feeling, but also girls in bathing suits. Hanging out with girls. Yeah. Right. So I want him to have those experiences too. <clears throat> I think it's very important in their upbringings is going just again, going to public school. So so did it work? Did he accept his uh his fate? Yes, he went and he enjoyed it. He's gonna go back again yeah. uh for they call it Bible blasters and whenever they have a class on Sunday nights, he's going to it. So good. Getting more plugged in to the church finally. That, Which that I, is... we were like trending in that direction and then COVID hit and it was just like, well, crap. You know. Took a that is exactly Yeah. That's where it all started for me. Started having kids. And I was like, man, I need to make sure my kids understand faith and that they have that foundation right mm-hmm. and got them going to a church preschool and all that and then you know a few years went by and then you know god started calling me like what about you mm. dude okay you got mm-hmm. your kids going to school right <laughs> um we took riley out our oldest uh 
of she had been in kindergarten at the church and uh this when we were in the woodlands and put her in public elementary for the first year first grade and like the third week of school she comes home and tells ashley mom they won't let me pray at school and it was like uh dude like sickening mm. you know because she actually asked she was used to praying before class every day she asked the teacher one day can i say a prayer and the teacher said you can pray quietly you can't pray out loud and it mm. you know, b- bothered her which then just <clears throat> really bothered us so thankfully she did her year there and we're able to keep them in a faith-based education yeah um man i got one of the probably the best comp honestly maybe the best compliment i've ever received there's this older gentleman at our church uh he and his family are like pillars of this little community we live in right everybody knows him um i think it was either his dad or his grandfather bought 40 acres back in the day and like three or four generations all live on the same compound they've got and like big time pillars in our church but also uh in the school we have them in now they they started a school called gloria deo which is like this half hybrid um homeschool you know private school deal that which our mm-hmm. kids did the second year we were in this area so they go to school like two days a week and they homeschool the rest and then now as of last year they started the same program at the at one of the local you know regular i guess christian schools my main point is that they're very bible oriented like i said pillars of our community and um uh, mr jack teaches sunday school some and he was at we were at the this men's retreat back in february which we talked about on the show together and ended up for whatever reason he and i sat and talked for like three solid hours one afternoon like during just sort of free time in the middle of the retreat literally sat across the table from each other and talked for so long so intensely that like people were commenting on it later Hmm. one of the things he mentioned when it came to talking about our kids and he put two and two together and he goes your girls are riley and charlotte he goes those girls know their bible i was just like that's awesome he's like he's like he's like it's rare that i have kids in those sunday schools that have such a command of you know biblical principles as those two did sweet affirmation as a parent yeah um what else what's what i'm well the reason why we're taping on sunday is i'm leaving for an elk hunt on tuesday yeah there's that god i fouled that up you know it's honestly though man this might have been one of those things where even though in you know at the time i don't know if we've talked about it but essentially i had a buddy wanting to go elk hunting so cable and i decided to sort of divide and conquer um cable decided to take one of his buddies i was supposed to take my buddy well my buddy and i basically flaked out completely um but as it turns out next thursday not this week but next week i've got to uh, attend the planning and zoning committee with ashley for uh our little farmer's market project uh, at this property that we're having our first one at tomorrow and you know we're having the first one tomorrow my point is we have so much going on this month it's probably for the best and maybe even meant to be that i didn't get to go this year 
Well, that's what Absence anyone would makes... tell themselves to if they missed out on an elk tag. Just literally right. thinking that as I was saying it. Yeah. <laughs> well, I could see it on your face. She's like, I don't really believe what's coming out of my mouth right now. I need to be there for my wife. I do very much believe that. So. And when I do go next September, which absolutely will happen, that will have been three years since the last time I was in the elk woods. So but this guy has an elk tattoo on his arm. <laughs> Dedicated. Mm-hmm. Yeah. To his family. This guy's also called in, I think, four bulls for the other guy on this call who missed all but one of them. Mm, so, I don't know if that is necessarily true. So it's mm. absolutely true. I'm sorry. I mean, two of three. You missed two of three. I know, but I was one of one. So I had a really <laughs> you were. Good, you were three really years good, ago. A really yeah. good ratio going uh-huh. back in 2016, that first yeah. one. Really um, fell apart in Montana. God, did it ever? Use your rangefinder. Don't just guess. Just like, well, gonna... it looks like he's forty. Well, that would have been so sweet to tag that bull while Ty was finding his boots. So anyway, Ty, <laughs> Ty uh, Stubblefield is a very well-known elk hunter who basically Chisholm purchased this hunt at a fundraising event, and Ty was supposed to just film for us. We're like, no, forget that. We don't want you to film for us. We just want to hunt with you and get learn from you. So Ty, for learning from Ty, the first thing is uh, Don't forget he forgot his shoes, his boots. <laughs> he gets to the trailhead, hunts with us for two days, and then it starts raining and like snowing. And he's like, I got to drive back to meet my wife like two hours away. He has to hike out like three miles or four miles, go meet his wife, and then hike back in. In the meantime, Chisholm and I are left to our own devices, which is fine. Uh, we killed elk before. But we'd never been in this area, and we had uh, the best encounter that day. And I food barred it up, but several. We were I mean, we were basically goes. we were in elk all day long. We had at least three that we were working. But actually, flung an arrow. A couple, couple that we yep threw an arrow, flung an arrow. One almost got within eyesight of another one. Um, tie is harder than woodpecker lips, man. Running around because you said it started raining, but the, we were in basically a swamp the whole time with 38 degree water every morning, and he's just wearing tennis shoes, trucking <laughs> and not bitching him at all about it. His feet had to be so cold. Yeah, uh, like I said, hard, hard, hard man. And way, and, and if there was any doubt about like how many elk he's killed versus how many we've killed, so the like last day, next to last day, Chisholm ends up calling this elk in while we're basically sitting there in a burn with our butts on a log eating lunch yep. this elk starts coming in and we just kind of like grab my bow and thing gets to within like 22 yards or something and i shoot and you can see my arrow just hit a like the one twig that was you would have elk. killed that out that that arrow seemed to be tracking true to me and it was like <laughs> it just goes right over his back and i'm trying to knock another arrow and then the elk's already dead ty's already shot it <laughs> so the move he made <laughs> to kill that bull it ran the other way. It ran like, like you 20 said, yards. He's, he's there, called and stopped it, and then the arrow was, was already through its vitals before I even knew yeah. what happened. There was no doubt at that moment that he was a far superior killer of that animal than we are, man. Like, right. he, like you said, <laughs> I just look over after you miss, and as you said, you're trying to knock another arrow, and behind you, he stands up at, like as he's standing, full draw, bam, double lung. Yeah. Bull, died, bull drops in sight. Oh, yeah. that's how you're supposed to do it. Got it. Yeah, thanks. Thanks. Don't sorry. hesitate. Just fire. At least we got to eat some. <laughs> Remember when he shot the top day. off that one little cattail weed thing at 30 yards? Yeah. Who can shoot too? 
<clears throat> much better archer than me. But uh, for I did sure. shoot my bow. I saw that yesterday for the first time since I got back from Africa. <laughs> but dude, okay, but here's the thing: like oh, I practice. Outfitter's gonna love you. I, I practiced all summer leading up to Africa. Your form looked back. great. I meant to comment on it, by the way. Thank you. Thank you. Better than I've seen it before. You're standing right. up straighter. You get, is your back feeling better? A little bit. Comes Good. and goes. I've been using the uh, Theragun on my sciatic. Still been situation. doing that cold treatment stuff? The cryotherapy? Yeah, I yeah, went that. three times this week. Sorry, I derailed you. What were you saying? Oh, that's okay. Uh, no, I was just saying I shot it well enough in Africa and leading up to that to where, you know, elk hunts five weeks later and really i was waiting on some new bowstrings. i have this little part that's frayed and they didn't get here in time so i was really hesitant to keep shooting it but um the time came i was like i gotta make sure this thing is still on because it was on a plane for 24 hours three different planes um but yeah still shooting true so it's gonna be the uh the indian not the arrow yeah <laughs> Even if uh, it was the arrow or the bow, it would still be the Indian's fault for not having his <laughs> gear in order before he left. Yeah. <clears throat> Let's talk about I, Australia. I wish, I wish you luck. Thank you. Thank you. Australia is doing a mandatory quarantine for people that test positive and then anyone else that comes into the country. That's okay, right? Go to the hotel. No, they're no longer doing hotels, Chisholm. They've got this place called Howard Springs. COVID. Might as well just be COVID concentration camp. Uh, well, like. might be a little harsh, but it's a COVID camp. Apparently, it has, it has lovely amenities. And guess what? They're building two more. They're already being built right now as we speak. And people have to go there for two weeks. People die there. You don't get to interact with it. You, get to, you can say hi to the other COVID patients from your porch of your little whatever it is, your one-room cell. But it's forced on these people, dude. It's absolutely mind-blowing that Australians are letting this happen to them. I don't, I, I don't even know what to say about it, man. Um, it's also mind-blowing that it's not being covered in the United States uh, at all. At all. Um, you know, any of the protests in France, in Australia, uh, you're not going to hear about that here. Or, hell, for that matter, in New York City. Not hearing about the thousands, dude. I think I think a couple week, week last weekend, maybe or even the weekend before, an estimated that might have been in France, where they burn their vaccine cards. Uh, well, it was just tens of thousands, or maybe even a hundred thousand people rallied at some protest, and you know it was just dismissed as like a collection of anti-vaxxers or whatever. Mm. But like I said, I, I mean, I know in New York City, it's you know, constant uh, pushback against it. And you're not hearing about that. Yeah. I, I, I don't get it, dude. I, here's what I do think. Australia knows something about this virus that we don't know about if they're, if they feel necessary, because they're they're they, they really don't have that much COVID going on. Like per, per they have 25 million people and they're like 400, 500, a thousand COVID cases. Yeah, dude. It's nothing. I think it's, it's dropping the, the bucket. state of New South Wales, right? That Sydney's in. They had like five cases and locked the whole state back down. Yeah, and you can't leave. You can't go farther than three miles away from your house for anything. Yeah. Crazy. I don't think they know anything that we don't know. 
I think it's an exercise in psychotic, you know, World War II era authoritarianism. So there's to it, man. Yeah. Well, but it seems like this virus keeps changing. Maybe they're just like, well, that's what they do. We're pre- why not? We're predicting that uh, the next variant's gonna kill even more people. I don't know. Just didn't happen with this one, but they haven't. They haven't had the issue. So why they're? That's the that's the mind blowing thing about it is like they haven't had widespread COVID pandemic. Yeah, I heard somebody the other day talking about it is some some something some kind of like island mentality, right? Like Hawaii has been extremely uh, protective since this thing broke out but hawaii is a small island australia is a continent right it's it is a different thing but it's you know something where i don't know dude i i just think it's this left-leaning protectionist mindset um you know even before covid if you wanted to talk about woke progressivism you know canada and australia along with us were like leading the world in crazy woke bs right oh so we to surpassed me, that knowing that and the fact that it, the woke progressives tend to be the most authoritarian and when it comes to this virus and the most afraid of it you know it's no surprise to me in reality that it that australia is where this is happening but the also happens between to me that they took their guns countries. away in 1996 right exactly that's the thing is they don't have the ability to say no f you know we're not doing that we do yeah they don't they burned and, all of the, you know, they, just they willingly turned their guns in and then the government burned them all. To be clear, I'm not saying that an armed you know resistance. What I'm saying is an armed society is a civil and polite society. You don't get away with shit like this in an armed society because you know better. It never gets to the point where an armed resistance is necessary. But you take everybody's guns away government can do whatever they want governments where citizens have guns don't try it and you can look around this country the cities and states with the most restrictive gun laws are the ones with the most oppressive covid policies Mm -hmm. and the highest crime rates (laughs) and the highest crime rates Uh, as murder rates we talked about constitutional carry last week um and how you know texas hasn't turned into the wild wild west and really, no one's been open carrying that I've seen anyway. But here's the clickbait or um, fantastical headline from CNN that I posted on my Instagram. Texans can now openly carry guns in public without a permit or training. Police say the new law makes it harder to do their jobs. Okay, so that's CNN's headline that they put on their Instagram no if doubt should, the person that wrote it was chanting defund the police at a friggin' protest just last summer. But exactly. That's neither that, here nor there. Yes. But the point of it was just to vilify Texas, make us out to be this red state, paint us all as Trumpers. And, you know, it's just it, it, the way I took it was they're just trying to gain Democratic support and show people, hey, don't be like Texas. In Florida, sure. you know, they would do the same thing. Oh, I yeah, don't like being free. Uh, wh- why are so many people moving to Texas? More people are moving to Texas than any other state. And it's those same assholes. Florida that are moving being here. second. Yep. Right. Move here in a second. 
So, oh, dude, you're a hundred percent right. There was an article I saw about a month or two ago. Where was that in? It was actually in the Hill, which not to mention we're the nineteenth state to do it. It's not even news. That's the that's the other thing. It's not even a newsworthy like subject. We're the nineteenth state to do it. I know. Uh, the Hill had an article a little while back explaining to Californians why they shouldn't move to Texas, and it was all this stuff, right? It, they were painting us out to be this, you know, redneck, gun-toting, you know, racist war zone. But the reality is, as you said, the statistics prove. People aren't buying that crap, at least not people with a brain. California's shrinking, Texas and New York is shrinking, Texas and Florida are growing for a reason. And a lot of the people who are coming here are coming from those places. Tennessee's another state where everybody's heading. Nashville's become a hot spot. But- Dude, so I was at this 80s party last night, and my a longtime friend is a musician. He lives, he's lived in Nashville probably five years now. And he said, like what you just said, they're having huge infrastructure problems because they've grown so fast that there's like the highways can't expand anymore. It's like I yeah. live. miles away from a friend across the lake and it takes me 35 minutes to go to his house it's like i can see the bank where he lives but i got it It takes me that's annoying yeah Yeah, same thing happened in austin man these are cities that you know in the last 30 years you know people have come to really appreciate park space and green space right and you know you go to houston texas and it's nothing but pavement everywhere Mm -hmm. i mean by and large right Right. You know, sweeping gigantic 150 foot overpasses, you know, where 15 highways all merged together. Right. And even with all that, they still have horrendous traffic. Um, Since the construction of those types of infrastructure, people don't want to see that crap. Right. And then, you know, places like Austin and Nashville are even, you know, they're, they're particularly pretty, you know, hills and trees and, um, which also just makes it more complicated to build like a huge loop, like, you know, two or three huge loops like Houston has. But, you know, you get to this point in 2021 and yeah, a huge influx comes in kind of all at one time. At the same time, it's even harder now than it would have been 30 years ago to build something to accommodate all that. And yeah, it sucks. <clears throat> They'll keep do? coming though. Yeah. And then, and, and, you know what? You've said that they're not voting the way that. Dude, there's so many coming now. I guarantee you that that's that. Some of them most certainly are. Some of the people who have come here from California are up in arms about that abortion bill we talked about last week. No doubt about it. Um, I don't know, man. And they'll and they'll vote on that one thing. They'll vote on that one thing, Chisholm, and forget about no state income income tax. Forget about our love for the Second Amendment. I mean. Well, so Rogan Rogan had the mayor of Austin on earlier this summer. And um, I'll I'll be honest, I actually kind of liked listening to, I can't think of his name right now. Um, Yeah, whatever. Um, Because he wasn't just a flaming lefty, um, but he definitely has some pretty hard left policies that he's implemented that he is, you know, promoted and he did on the show but you know like their homeless crisis that was really created by their city council Mm -hmm. uh, and he opposed it and now he's kind of stuck holding the bag and trying to figure it out i will say his fix is to take a billion dollars of federal funding and buy up uh commercial real estate apartments and hotels to house homeless people in which is what la has been trying to do and if you oh mayor jim adler 
Uh, Mayor Adler is a real estate attorney and major real estate investor, which presumably means that his whole circle and all of his friends and cronies are all real estate investors. So when I hear, hey, the government gave us a billion dollars to help us fix our homeless crisis, let's rent out a whole hotel. I sure would love to know if Mr. Adler or one of his best friends owns that hotel. Um, but that's half beside the point. He, they got to talking about COVID-19 stuff and Rogan said, you know, I love the way Governor Abbott's been handling this, opening the state back up, making masks optional, et cetera, et cetera. And Adler's, this was, like I said, this was in, this was right before Delta, this was before Delta had gone apeshit. It was probably April or May, actually. It might have been in the spring. And, you know, meanwhile, at that time, I know California was still locked down like crazy. And yet their case transmission rates, death rates, all that was the exact same as ours, even though we were open, Florida was open and California was locked down. Right. So the data was abundantly clear. The lockdowns weren't doing a damn thing. And Adler's like, well, so he had to push back because Adler, because Rogan compliments Abbott. Right. Well, I really think that the governor has probably been a little bit uh, too loose with that. And, you know, I, you know, if you look at statistically speaking, the city of Austin has outperformed the entire state of Texas in terms of cases as well as hospitalizations and deaths. So, you know, we, we, but if you remember, Austin maintained strict COVID policies for about an extra month. Mm. Um, but at that point that he was on, they had been removed. Um, many of them are back now, but uh, so he tried to argue that the governor should have waited one more month before opening the state up and, and Rogan pushed back. He's like, why? Everything's fine. And, you know, the data, again, is clear on this. And he was like, well, I just if you just look at the, you know, the performance of the city of Austin versus the rest of the state. And Joe goes, is it possible that that has something to do with Austin being an extraordinarily healthy, fit city where people are active and outside eating really well? The obesity rates here is far, far lower than many other parts of the state of Texas. And he's like, well, I mean, that probably contributes. It's like, no, dude, that's probably exactly the whole reason. Right. Give me a break, dude. <laughs> I mean, because it is. Say what you want about Austin. I still love going there, man. I've always said liberal cities are usually great places to visit. They got great food and, you know, cool music scenes and nightlife and art galleries and blah, 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 blah. Right. All the stuff that comes with a big liberal progressive city. You also tend to have fit people who are trying to live relatively well. Then somehow along the way, they all get brainwashed thinking that they need the government to give them everything. No, they're physically fit, but mentally just right. deranged. It's got to do with population density, man. The denser the population, the more reliant a person becomes on things being done for them. You know, if you own and 10 acres, wants to shack if, up all the homeless people in free hotels. Like that's not the solution. Yeah. If, if you live on a few acres in a rural place where you have a septic system and, you know, maybe some, you know, <laughs> you know, an older home that's in need of work, like you just figure out how to do stuff on your own or you were taught that as a child. Right. But mm. if you live in a subdivided neighborhood where you can touch the, you know, your neighbor's wall and your wall at the same time. Yeah. You, you cut your grass. It takes 15 minutes, but beyond that, everything else, you pick up the phone and call somebody and they take care of it. Well, know? even more. And so that, if you live me, in an just, apartment or something like that, yeah, hundred percent, dude. Right. Yeah. Which I would bet what half, of the residents of a major city, the bigger the city, the more it is, but you know, yeah. huge percentages of big cities like that live in apartments. And yeah, I mean, they don't have literally anything to tend to, to maintain, mm -hmm. to try to, you know, learn how to do. 
And so they just become the, it creates this dependency mindset and yeah. Anyway, um, about that before. let's talk about, I, I'm becoming more and more of a fan of Bill Maher, which is amazing. Cause I used to despise the dude. <laughs> Told you. Yeah. You were right about that. Uh, but he seems to be, and, and th- you can throw another name out there if you want, but as far as, Hardcore Democrats with a platform and a voice. I think he might be the most sane one. And that's becoming more evident every time I hear him talk. So he had this guy on Malcolm Nance and Ben Shapiro, same time, to debate, to talk about critical race theory. They've already kind of done their whole spiels on what each one of them, how that each one of them described it. And now, uh, Bill is kind of reacting to it. And I want to play this. It's about three minutes, but I think this is the most worthwhile part of our conversation today. Well, the prayer thing, obviously, a uh, huge deal <laughs> for us both uh, spiritually. But this is very important. I want, uh, I want to play it right now. No one is actually saying we want to go back and erase everything and restart and talk to you about these things. Critical race theory is a subject because the Republican right has made it a subject. No, no, no. No, no not, real school okay. organizations hope, are, are now, mandating I, this for kids. I hope every Democrat in America takes your perspective and they, so will, and, and, and they will be shellacked at the polls. Roy Teixeira just wrote a piece, the, the emerging Democrat majority, Roy Teixeira, he just wrote a piece about what he called the Fox News fallacy, a tendency of people on the left to believe that just because Fox News mentioned something, it can't be real. The reality is a lot of this stuff is taught in schools. You mean like the, viruses? Well, uh, okay. Well, can I, can I? I'm, I'm, now, now I'm just. I don't, I don't know. Now I'm just confused can I just, what you're talking about. As far about. as what, what people are experiencing in their lives in their schools. Yeah. Okay, you're right. There are states, like, from the old Confederacy, I think, who do want to airbrush history. Mm. That's not, I think, the majority in this country. If you ask me critical race theory, if you say, does that mean teach history unvarnished? I would say yes, then I'm totally for critical race theory. If you say, does it mean acknowledging that racism persists today? I would say yes, teach that. Mm -hmm. Uh, Should we have remedial means? That's like affirmative action. There's lots of people who are against that. I'm still for that. I still think when you read the statistics, and I have some of them here, uh, blacks earn 40% less, uh, 90% less family wealth. High poverty high schools, 72% blacks to 31% white, live six years shorter, half as likely to go to college, eight times more incarcerated. These are real statistics. The question is, how do we... What do we do to address them? I th- what I think these are wonderful. real statistics. I, you think we should address them? You think we should address them, right? The question is, what are we doing about it? Because if, ra- if critical race theory means making children in school fixate on race, I'm not for that. If it makes, if it's about collective guilt, I didn't do anything to your great, great, great grandfather. I don't want to be responsible for that. If it's about, you know, a toxicity of just from being born white, uh, if it's about dividing everybody into oppressor and oppressive, oppressed and oppressor, I'm not for that. So there are things that are being taught and are going around that I'm not for, that if that was critical race theory, I wouldn't be for. I agree with you. And I don't think that's critical race theory. But it's being, I, okay. No, no, I well, think again, what's happened here is, I think that's what's happened here 
as this this terminology, sort of like defund the police, has been hijacked and been framed around the left as that they want to do all this. They want to rip down the, right, the so, entire social fabric of America and they want us to be guilty well, about everything. I want you to teach history. I had a lot of people in the military. Hold on. I had a lot of people in the military, senior officers who had to make life and death decisions who were total morons about the cultures and institutions and right, so, in countries so, we were going into, and people died because so of that. I don't need that here. If we agree that history should be taught, why are you defending critical race theory, which is not history? Did I not just say a moment ago that I think that term has been hijacked and that's not okay, what we're so talking about? Okay, so let's say critical race theory. I'm going to go back and repeat that I didn't say that. Okay. You, you, you are right. literally let's defending start. critical race theory by redefining it as just teaching history, which is a cheap semantic trick and you know it. Is this All what right. you do on your show? Because it sucks. <laughs> I appreciate that, but I, sure I, will, I, will, I will comfort myself I'm sure tonight by a, sleeping on my bed made of money. I'm sure we have an adult. Oh. I'm sure we... I'm sh- okay. You know, I told you at the beginning of this <clears throat> that I was having a great day. Yeah. Why did we have to do this on a Sunday afternoon? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, it's so aggravating. Uh, well, it's important. Here, I, have, I have one question. So this guy, Wallace, whatever his name is, he throws out there, I guess he was in the military, that he had all these, I think he used the word ignorant, uh, even like top officers uh, going into these other countries and who were ignorant of those cultures. Uh-huh. What in the F does that have to do with American history? Uh, nothing. Nothing at all. That was his example about how Americans aren't being taught history. Are yeah. you bothered by the fact that it's we're supposedly not being taught our own history or the fact that we're not being taught Afghan history and culture? Mm-hmm. I don't understand, sir. Yeah. It's real. Well, and, and you heard uh, Bill say, if you know, he's like, I, I didn't do anything to your great, great, great grandfather. Yeah, I, want, I don't that. want to be held accountable for that. That's because previously in the interview, he talked about how his great 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 grandfather um, left his plantation and joined the Union Army. Right, and he never would have envisioned him having to sit there and argue with Ben Shapiro about this quote shit. I think is what he said, dude. That guy's so full of it; it's unbelievable. He's he he acknowledged what that at the which you didn't play this part, but Bill let Shapiro define critical race theory. Mm-hmm. Shapiro went to Harvard Law School where that entire doctrine was actually created by a guy named uh, Professor David something or other. Um, He defines it, and the dude says, yep, I agree with all that. Because he defined it as basically like any, uh, you know, difference in race, racial outcomes is, you know, by default racism, according to critical race theory. So then the guy goes into you know, laws from the late 1700s and early 1800s that were, you know, harmful to like Native Americans and Chinese people. Yeah, Chinese people and shows how all that is proof of critical race theory. And both he and both Shapiro and Bill Maher are like, but what about today? We get it. Well, I want that shit being taught. Okay, where is it not being taught? And Joe and Shapiro tried to say that he's like, that's not not being taught. And he throws out there, well, I hear in Texas they're trying to erase the Ku Klux Klan from history books. No, they're not. There may be a fringe group in this state among those pushing back against critical race theory that are trying to remove some of this stuff from history books to keep white kids from feeling bad about stuff. That's not going to happen. We were taught racism. We were taught slavery. We were taught abolition of slavery. We were taught about World War II and the internment of Japanese citizens after they bombed Pearl Harbor. I, we know all that shit. 
and it's continuing right. to be taught. And there's not a single American who's arguing that it shouldn't be. You know what? Leftists no, 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 don't want to teach. Actually, there are. The, the, the woke left is like, because if they weren't trying to rewrite history, they wouldn't be tearing down statues. What I was about to say is you want to know who doesn't want to teach history. It's the left when it comes to like the atrocities of socialism and communism. They don't want to teach that crap. You know, and to the extent they'll even acknowledge it, they'll be like, yeah, well, that wasn't real socialism or communism. So, you know, that dude was so full of shit. And listening to Bill Maher's audience cheer at him while he just took ad hominem shots, you know, attacks at Ben Shapiro, telling him he sucks. Like he did. There was no he agreed with Ben Shapiro's definition of critical race theory and then tried to claim none of that's critical race theory. All it is is a desire to teach history legitimately. It's complete and utter garbage, man. Right. He was full of crap. He said Bill Maher was not sympathetic to it. Just like the defund the police thing. Hijacked. Right. What do you mean? When was defund the right. police hijacked? And by who? I, yeah, when, that's one of, the left's, one of the left's narratives is, well, we never really meant like getting rid of the police. We just meant like pay them less and take some of that money and pay social workers. <laughs> oh, okay. What about when Ilhan Omar then comes out and says, no, we literally mean defund and get rid of the police. Right. Like if you don't want us to hear the words you say and understand them as English. Pick different words, jackass. Defund the police means what it says. Defund the police. You want to fund policies that are different, that are aimed at helping? Then promote that. You've created a destructive catchphrase. Half of the people who use it mean exactly what we say it means. And you're trying to hide behind it and say, well, we never really meant get rid of them. What about in Minneapolis? They've lost 60% of their force because they lost 60% of their budget. And now, in North Minneapolis, seven-year-old children are getting shot in the head in drive-by shootings, and black people are begging their, their community in Minneapolis, begging them to refund the police back to 2019 levels. I, and I don't think Minneapolis had the crime rates of um, Chicago, of L.A., of New York City prior to the defund the police thing. I don't I know how they compared, but I know they've skyrocketed. Oh, sure, sure. But you never, I mean, you didn't hear about, uh, you yeah, would have I mean, heard about you, Detroit right. before you heard about Minneapolis. Sure. So anyway, um, but yeah, that was the, the, the thing that was the most infuriating was when he said, oh, it's just a term that's just been hijacked. Like, by, but who, who hijacked it? It's, we're not, not teaching history, like you said. So where's the hijacking occurring? I don't understand, sir. And, uh. But I liked Bill's responses, you know? Yeah, I mean, Bill broke it down just right. You know, if you're talking about the massive disparity between the black and white communities at large in this country, we've talked about it. Yeah, we mm -hmm. want to try to figure out how to fix that, man. Like I've said since forever, the left points out the oppression and the flaws and the, you know, the inequality in society. But then they come up with horrible, stupid, destructive ways to fix it. Yeah, I don't know how to fix it, but right. I know that teaching white kids that they're the devil and you know not to be ashamed of their not whiteness. expecting black and brown kids to achieve ac academically that was something else that was cut out of the clip ben shapiro points out how there are schools across the country that are lowering or completely eliminating testing thresholds right or like getting out of high school and he's like well can you draw me a direct line from that to critical race theory and he's like yeah i can because the disparity they're trying to eliminate is a racial based disparity because generally, you know, maybe in certain areas, the black population of a school doesn't perform as well as the white population. So they are saying because of racial disparity, 
creating inequality. We're just going to eliminate the meritocracy entirely. There is a direct line between those things. It's not healthy. It's not good. And first, and even if there's not a direct line between critical race theory and the demolishing of standards, they're all they are tied together as all leftist thought for sure. Well, and that doesn't do the the black community any favors when you lower. Of course, it doesn't. When you lower the standard to where now, okay, maybe that person doesn't really have a firm grasp on reading and writing, but we're just going to pass them anyway. Does it set you up for success in life? No, no, it doesn't help anybody, dude. It sets it's opposite. It sets you up for complete failure. All it does sets you up government is make the weak minded emotional pussies that run those schools from the school district level all the way down to the teachers feel better about themselves because they're not handing out bad grades to minorities. That's all. Mm-hmm. It doesn't help that child in the future at all. So, so Bill at some said, point, the fact to your, as you're saying that maybe they can't read or they can't do math is going to catch up to them. Right. Right. Well, so Bill said he's not for, teaching kids to focus on race i wonder he's from california i wonder if he is for teaching those same age kids to focus on transgender ideologies like i think he's i think he's got some bits where he's spoken more or less against pretty sure i've heard him i couldn't necessarily put my finger on right off the top of my head but i think he's dude i'm telling you bill maher is complaining about Everything we're complaining about. Everything. You name it. He's seeing the world. And and it's interesting because that was two two shows ago. And then the most recent one, you might have sent me the link to it. Someone did where he was talking about, hey, Americans, wake up. You're still in the best country in the world. You don't have all these problems. By and large, we're making up a lot of the problems for ourselves because we don't have anything else to do. It was kind of like just, hey, look in the mirror. This is still America. Right. So, yeah. I mean, that's what I'm saying. Like, he sees that his side has gone completely off the rails on all of these fronts. All these fronts, dude. I mean, if you think about it, he's an old school 60s and 70s, you know, liberal, right? Like, he was around for a big part of the, uh, you know, the feminist movement for a guy like that to be looking at the fact that. You know, men are now, you know, natal men are now being are now being allowed to compete against women. He's looking at that and thinking, wait, 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 wait. I've spent the last 30 or 40 years fighting against the oppression of, you know, women. And now we're just going to let dudes compete against them. Like he's seeing all that stuff. Um, And, you know, at the same time, and the clip played it, he's. He is one of those people that's wired to see these problems and want to do something about it. But what he's seeing is his party veering off the rails in terms of the cure right and he and you know he's witnessing it firsthand because in the last 15 years it's just gone completely haywire Mm -hmm. you know and he he opened up that whole clip by saying hey you know i want to talk about critical race theory and he's like this was something that up until a year ago i probably never even heard of right that's what he said and he said and most americans probably know this about it that it's a theory and it has something to do with race. Right. <laughs> that's and that's pretty much all they know about it. Um, but yeah, you could I, you could see Ben just getting all kind of uh, fired up there as that guy was 
being quite condescending. And that's the deal with the left is, and it's why Kamala cackles. That's right. Uh, they don't, don't have, have a good answer for you. They don't have arguments or facts. They have emotions and feelings. And when you challenge their emotions and feelings with arguments and facts, Insult. all they do is call you a racist. Yeah. yeah. Tell you that you suck. Yeah. And ignorant people who are sympathetic to this oppression cheer it. You know, there was a clip. Maybe you saw this one. Bill Maher in the last two or three weeks um, talking about the Afghanistan debacle, right? Mm-hmm. And he makes he, he says uh, he said things on both sides in the court. It was like his opening monologue deal, right? He said sort of sort of things that I think you could interpret as sort of on both sides of the political spectrum. And then when it came to these refugees, he's, he goes, "You know what? All of you who are against bringing these refugee refugees to America, you should allow." Like, he basically said, "We should all welcome those people." He's like, "You should welcome them into your homes." Because we've been over there fighting, you know, fighting in their country in this interest of, quote, protecting our nation. And now we've created, you know, a whole class of people who have to get out of there or they'd be beheaded. So, yeah, we should welcome them into our homes. And he goes, and he says something like, um, I saw this. <laughs> he says something like, and I know all of you that are listening are saying, yes, you should welcome these people into your homes. Right. Like he basically put like he, dude, it was, this, it was this. I wish I could remember exactly how he said it. We should try to find it, but it was, close it was this that, yeah. perfect, perfect description of leftism. Hey, you know, Nancy Pelosi, right? This wall is racist. Nancy Pelosi lives inside of a walled compound, right? Hmm. All of these people all across California that live in some of the wealthiest suburbs, you know, neighborhoods in the entire country want to talk about homelessness, but there's no homeless people camping in front of Nancy's compound, right? There's no... When the race issue shows up at their door, when the defund the police issue shows up at their door, like, you know, the mayor of Portland, Oregon, um, I want to say maybe the mayor of Chicago as well, you know, that... Lori? Uh, oh. Uh, Lori Lightfoot. The, yeah. He's yeah. the worst. But the, uh, the new squad member, Corey Bush has armed security. Yeah. But she wants to defund the police, right? Like <clears throat> he was so it was such a poignant point he made. Like all these people were clapping and cheering. Yes, everybody let these people in and then when he called all those people out for it, but y'all know damn good and well you're not going to let them in your house. And there was people who they they clapped and cheered at that, like acknowledging yeah, okay. They're hypocrites, dude. Yeah. You know, like don't get me wrong. I, I've made the case. I think we have to figure out how to do something for those people, but uh, I'm not telling anybody they have to let them into their home, and I'm not going to do it myself. <laughs> <laughs> right? Uh, uh, it's hard enough taking really care well. of your own family, and the left just keeps trying to make that harder and harder. So, yeah. Well, um, the, true, the true left doesn't believe in family to begin with. They want to take your kids away from you at five and indoctrinate them. And that's not even a friggin' joke, man. Read, read your marks. Mm-hmm. Clear as day. Well, now that you're all fired up, I think we should just end on a high note. <laughs> Thanks, dude. <laughs> you're welcome. I got I stuff that. to do anyway. Yeah. Well, hey, I, I uh, enjoyed it. This one was uh, short and sweet, but uh, we'll be back with a new show next week. Into next week. I'll be back on like next Thursday. So we should be on our normal schedule. And uh, good luck to myself and the Elkwoods. Good luck to you and the Elkwoods. My brother Brock told me to tell you hi. He listens every episode. 
Uh, he seems to have the mistaken impression that you're a pothead because you talk about, or you used to talk about weed so much. I was like, no, nah, he doesn't really like pot. He just likes uh, weed stocks. Yeah. And then he started telling me about his investments in weed stocks. So. Which they were doing great. Now they've tanked. Yeah, oh, I haven't even looked at them in a while. Fine. So bad. Same uh, thing with my Coinbase account. But everyone smokes weed, so why are they not doing great? I was like, this is a, this is a slam dunk. There's so many potheads. Marcus Hell, Flutter, Austin Flutter. alone could support this market. So. Market's flooded. Yeah. <clears throat> uh, anyway, for Chisholm Cook, I'm Cable Smith. Thank you guys for tuning in to episode 45 of Justified Pursuit, and we will see you next week. Pray for peace. Spray. Hey.